Welcome to the Pergo Podcast. This is Jared Petty, and today I am joined by our judge, Rusty McMillan, and Eric Wright. Fellas, welcome back to the Pergo Podcast. Thank you. Good to be back. Has, how many times has Eric been on? <laughs> well, this is the second for both of y'all. Oh, okay. All right. So y'all are tied. Just didn't want him to have more than me. Well, he doesn't. And if, you know, those who are listening right now are interested in going back and listening to your last podcast, I've got it right here. Rusty, you came on March 26, 2021. Wow. I'm sure you remember that like it was yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. And Eric, you're on, it's almost your one year anniversary. You were June 24, 2022. Yeah. Mine was about murder and Rusty's was probably about <laughs> roads. It was. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much it. Uh, that sums up those podcasts. So if you're interested in gravel roads, Rusty's your guy. If you're interested in murder, Eric Wright's your man. I've, I've been threatened with murder based on how roads are. So. <laughs> yeah. But that's true. I was just telling Eric that his story about James Trammell is still one of the most interesting, bizarre, crazy, like can't make this up stories, probably in Paragold history. And you were telling me that, uh, which by the way, again, if we're not going to get into all of that, but, the short of that is, for those who have not heard it, you need to go back and listen to the whole thing. Again, June 24, 2022 was the episode with you. But James Trammell murders a guy just a few doors down from here. No one has a clue where he is. Very long story short, you find out that he had moved to Australia where he raised a family and had a pretty good life for himself and was known as a guy with a really well-kept garden and Glass bottle cokes for people who came over, and the family were like, "Yeah, Grandpa said he was from Arkansas, and he had a little bit of a past, <laughs> right. but we didn't ever talk about what that meant." Yeah, yeah. Well, he murdered. He shot a guy in the face. He, he ended up dying in uh, 1966 in a uh, suburb of Sydney, and uh, always kind of clung to those southern roots, you know, with the chewing tobacco and the uh, was kind of a ladies' man in Sydney because of the southern drawl. <laughs> And was kind of a neat, unique character in in the Sydney area, but um, his story was just one of many in the downtown area um, that kind of created a, a reputation for Paragold as a violent place. Yeah, and you talk about that in one of your books. Uh, is it Mayhem on Main Street? Uh, Main Street Mayhem. Main yeah. Street Mayhem. I couldn't remember exactly the title. I do have it. I read it. It's very good. Um, what were I'm, I'm trying to remember if we even talked about this much in the podcast last time? I know we're here to talk today about the the meteorite. But the murders that happened around this area, why is that? Was it because we were attracting just kind of a rougher group of people through the railroad? Like, or was that just normal of pretty much any town that was getting started back in the kind of the... Yeah, any, any kind of town that was an economic or social hub like Paragold was at uh-huh. that time. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. We, we were a boom town. We boomed later than a lot of other towns in, in popular mind. Um, and because of that... We saw a explosion of violence. Um, so it, it had nothing to do with the demographics of anybody in particular. Mm-hmm. It was just we were attracting, um, you know, kind of come as you go workers, and there was a lot of money flowing, and that was that was basically it. Mm. Well, for those again that are interested in learning more about it, definitely go check out that episode on June twenty fourth with Eric, or grab the book. Uh, it's very, very good. So I want to talk about y'all's new book um, that you've authored. And I know, Rusty, you wrote the introduction for. But before we talk about this meteorite and why it's important, why we're glad to have it back now in our museum, I have to ask you a question about food, Rusty. Okay. And you're not going to understand the why I'm asking this question until probably in July. I think okay. that's when I'm going to let the cat out of the bag and why yeah. I'm asking this question. How many pieces of pizza do you think you can eat? Uh, Depends on, I mean, what? whose pizzas are we talking about? Well, that's a great question. New York great question. Style. Let's just say uh, brick oven. You know, brick oven. I don't know. I eat half a pizza. I mean, what size? Large. So you're saying like seven or eight pieces? Yeah. Okay. I don't, I can't really put it away. And now, if it's a contest? That's what I'm saying. It's a contest. Well, this I, is a contest. Yeah, yeah. I might be able to do more. Okay. Just because, you know, somebody's laid down a challenge. Well, <laughs> that could happen. You know, um, for those who are listening, like, where's this going? I thought we were talking about the meteorite. Um, let's be honest. You're a little bit upset about the fact that I've been going all across town, trying out these different restaurants yeah. with Josh Agee. I am, I'm very upset. Very upset. Yeah. And there could be a potential for a pizza eating contest in July. All right. There could be a challenge that might be issued somewhere along the way okay. from the mayor to yourself. Yeah. So I'm just... Just curious, how many pieces of pizza you thought? Well, that you I, would, eat? I would only have to eat maybe one or two because uh, the mayor doesn't eat solid food. <laughs> so, I, 
just by my experience of being at a table with him. How many pieces of pizza do you honestly <laughs> think Josh could eat? Because uh, I asked him this question. I don't know. Because if you think back to Andy Griffith episode, it's uh, is, is it Goober or Gomer? Uh, don't ask in? me. I've only right. watched maybe a half episode. Uh, one of them's going to go in an eating contest, and he tells Andy, Andy, the trick is not to go without eating. The trick is go ahead and eat as much as you can several days leading up to it so you stretch that stomach out. Ah, yeah. <laughs> and so that's what I'm going to go with. You think with you then. have the stretch advantage? Uh, well, I'm. Let's just look at the the size. <laughs> all right, my my waistline is is larger than the uh, mayor's. Yes. Yeah. What do you? How many pieces of pizza? If you were going to put money on, how many pieces of pizza do you think Josh Ag could eat? Well, we're sitting next to my boss, so I understand. <laughs> I understand. I think if Josh did a big bike ride before, uh-huh. he might be able to put some away. Like how many pieces? I want to know because I've asked Josh this, and he's given me an exact amount. So I'm I'm going to go with a Testino. Uh, pizza roll, <laughs> one, just one. <laughs> I think he could probably eat a few, but then the the grease and the ingredients that don't necessarily agree with him. Would catch <laughs> up with him. There we go. So, Should I tell them what Josh said? Or yes, uh, yeah, absolutely. Chris. Yeah. So I asked Josh this question: How many pieces of pizza could you really eat? Here was his response: Thirty. <laughs> Wow. Everybody, I've, I've been asked, we've been going on this food tour, and I've been asking, I'm like, Josh, you cannot eat 30 pieces of pizza. Wow. He's starting to go back now, isn't he? Yeah, He's getting a little bit nervous. He's like, well, it might be like, oh, no, 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 no. You originally, with confidence, said 30. <laughs> so, we'll just see. Just if I'm your, sitting at a table with him, I know I can eat a large pepper, a large brick oven pizza. It's just cheese sure. pizza, man. Yeah. yeah. Just be uh, be on the lookout for a possible challenge that could come in the future. Oh, okay. And work on the stretch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Damn. Okay. Lettuce, pancakes, things like that. <laughs> stretch it out. Cabbage. <laughs> right. Um, all right. So let's talk about the meteorite. I, I've known about the meteorite. I mean, I'm from Paragould. I've heard of the meteorite. I knew there was one that hit here. Uh, when was it? Back in, in the 30s, 40s? When 30s. Was? 1930. In 1930. Um, and I was just on Wikipedia earlier today because I was trying to learn about it. I did not know it was, I guess, still is considered the second largest witness meteorite fall ever recorded in North America. You guys have obviously researched this. You have something to do with bringing it back to the museum. So why don't we just start here? Why should we care about this meteorite? Like, what? Tell me kind of the story behind how it got. Here, first off, yeah, in the 40s. I guess we can start with you, Russ, because it's kind right. of in your own, your, your, your family, kind of in your area. In sure. Fitch. How did it get here initially? And then let's talk about how the journey back to Paragold. Yeah. Well, according to records, it shows that at 4.08 a.m. on February 17th, 1930 is, is when that it, it landed. So I don't know how many visibly saw that or just like, hey, I, I hear it. Uh, now, we go back to the 1930s. People are getting up earlier than probably what many of us are used to yeah. now yeah. <laughs> to uh, um, you know, milk cows and, mm-hmm. and check on farm animals and such. And uh, So it's neat to see, and, and you can read about this in Eric's book, but uh, for me, the importance of it is I heard about this meteorite growing up because it landed out uh, in the Finch community mm-hmm. uh, where I grew up. And um, my grandmother wrote a poem. Uh, mm. About it, and and so, and that's featured in, it is actually uh, on display in the uh, Green County Museum. Oh, that's cool. You know, so, but I, I take ownership because it's like that's my grandmother's meteorite. Okay, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it wasn't, but yeah, yeah. It <laughs> she, wrote, way, she wrote a poem yeah, about that's it. That's right. And uh, why did she write a poem about it? Like, well, just because it had that big of an impact on her? Sure, I think so. And it's just uh, my grandmother, very she, grandmother Flossie McMillan, uh, Flossie Levens McMillan, and just very nostalgic, loved history. Um, she was one that would go to any and all uh, family reunions, uh, church potlucks, just because she wanted to see people that she hadn't seen in a while and be able to visit with them and talk about, you know, who she knew of their family and, and, and if she grew up with any of them and to visit uh, about that. So community was very important to her. Family was extremely important to her and just being around others. And later on in life, she didn't say much, but she loved to just sit and listen to grandkids, great-grandkids and family sit around and enjoy food together and just enjoy company as well. And so uh, that was part of the, the, the poem and, mm. you know, and she just, uh, uh, wanted it to, to be memorialized in, in such a way. And uh, my grandfather was, uh, we were searching the, the files for this picture. My grandfather was actually, we have a photo of him standing on the derrick uh, when the 
working to pull that meteorite out that's of the ground. That's cool. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we don't know where it's ended up, but a lot of aunts and uncles and, and cousins are looking through their, whatever they inherited from the family to see if they have that fi- uh, picture. And whenever the meteorite landed, like, there was reports, and I was just reading about this on Wikipedia, like, people from Illinois, Indiana, like, from far away, <laughs> people were able to see this, like, burning object falling through the sky. Right? Right, right. That's crazy to me. So, <clears throat> I'm, excuse me. Um, there were a lot of eyewitnesses to this, and that's how they're able to pinpoint the the timing of this to a very precise moment in the morning. Uh, one of the Paragold uh, night watchmen looked at his watch when he saw this thing coming overhead, and uh, there there were numerous witnesses that that left accounts either at the time or or later. There was. Um, um, uh, some folks out in Beech Grove, uh, Charlie Norman and Willie Allison, who were in a buckboard going fishing. And it was the sonic booms from these three uh, chunks coming through the atmosphere. Jeez, they created a so, sonic boom. Yeah, it was so loud that it spooked the horses. Wow. And you got to understand at the time, a lot of these people around here didn't necessarily understand what was happening. They just knew it to be some sort of celestial event. Dude, it had to freak them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, there were some folks on a train near the Peach Orchard area that saw this and assumed that one of the local towns had been destroyed. Um, <laughs> people in Blyville. I mean, that shows you, like, how awesome this thing must have been to see. Like, if yeah. you're like, it seemed that big, it's like, oh, it must have destroyed a whole town. Uh, people in Blyville thought that Perigold had been destroyed. People in Perigold thought that Blyville had been destroyed. <laughs> Um, there was a fella in Gainesville named Marvin Penny whose uh, cattle stampeded. Um, so everyone wow. in the region, um, you know, up into Missouri, up in all the surrounding states, bore witness to this event. Um, and it wasn't until the next morning that the first chunk, the smaller chunk that's now in the Smithsonian was, was found. There's a smaller chunk in this in the Smithsonian. Yeah, I um, didn't know that. And I, I don't know if it was the, the next morning, but it yeah. was it was soon after the the main chunk that's um, at the museum now was weeks later that it was found. Um, so the smaller chunk was found just past or north of Finch Baptist Church. Okay, <clears throat> we know. Me. So we still know exactly where it was found at. Yeah, and, well, that one, we have a rough idea. Um, and the the interesting story behind that is a local uh, physics teacher here at the school by the name of Ryan uh, kind of had an idea of what had happened. So he took some students with him and went to dig this thing up. Probably how long after this originally hit? Yeah, just maybe a couple days or okay. a week or so. And... When he went out to the farm, the farmer was irate that something had crashed into his field and, and plowed this huge hole. And so Ryan said, hey, look, we'll dig this out and patch up your hole for you if you let us take this. The farmer said, absolutely. So they dig this up. Ryan recognizes that it's a meteorite, takes it back to town, and puts it on display in one of the downtown newspaper offices. Eventually, he ends up selling it to a meteorite hunter uh, out of Kansas named Harvey Nininger. The farmer becomes very mad about this. Because he's like, I could have made a profit? Yeah. <laughs> How much money did they sell it for? Do you have any idea? Uh, yeah, uh, it was uh, $3,600 back then, which now would be... About 65000 Okay. So it's a pretty good chunk of change. So it's yeah. the big one or the small one? The small one. Okay. That's not the one that's here in the museum right now, right? This is a... Yeah. Correct. And uh, so he, the uh, the farmer, uh, Park, his name is Parkinson, lays out this uh, Ryan fellow. <laughs> and they go to court. And Ryan ends up becoming, because of his experience with this, a circuit judge and lawyer. And that name now is 
pretty recognizable around town and synonymous with, you know, judicial stuff. Um, and then at some point later, uh, they dig up the, the larger mass and that gets sold to the field museum. Um, where was the larger mass found at? Just south of Old Bethel Church on what is now Green 710 Road. Old Bethel Church. I'm trying to think of where that's at. What road did you say? It's off Highway 358. If you go past 351, which takes you to Jonesboro, another couple of uh-huh. miles, uh, three miles down, Old Bethel Church. Yeah, okay. Resides there. You head on 710 Road, take a left there, head south on 710. Man, were those church buildings still there? It's interesting that they both land by church buildings. Right. That church building, probably, it's on the National Register, so it's possibly that it was, I've, I can't think of how long that one's been out there. Well, contemporary reports both cite churches. Now, the Finch Church is not the same one that was there, but I suspect there was a church yeah. at that site. So reports from 1930 will say it fell so-and-so yards from the Finch Church. So most people thought the judgment of God was coming. Yeah. What and, did um? How did they find the one that was over by Bethel? That's the bigger rock, right? Yeah, uh, and it, it fell on the land of a man named Joe Fletcher, but his neighbor, a man named W. H. Hodges, actually found it. He found this huge crater in his neighbor, the Fletcher fellow's land, and I guess because of all the hubbub of the previous meteorite kind of sensed that this was what it was supposed to be. And there was a team summoned from Paragold. And I guess this is where Rusty's family comes in with the, the Derek and the mule teams and stuff like this to dig this 800 pound meteorite out of the ground. That was nine or 10 feet embedded in the clay. Jeez. Um, Your family helped. Well, I, just, I say my grandfather, there's a picture of him standing on the derrick. He would have yeah. been around 14, uh, 15 years old at that time. And so I don't I don't know if other members of my family were there. He mm-hmm. was just maybe in the area and, and lending a hand or watching. And when they first pulled it out, were they pulling out to sell it or to get I me mean, to give it to a museum, you say, or did they have other plans with it originally? Uh, I think the the photo that you see floating around here a lot of times are the three guys on the bed of the truck with the meteorite. Okay. Uh, I've actually not seen that photo. So it's, uh, I believe you've got her here. The man on the right is Nininger who was at that time kind of an avocational meteorite hunter, but he used the sale of these meteorites to propel himself full time. Uh, he was from Manhattan, Kansas. He was a professor there at a college, uh, but he knew that there was value, monetary value and scientific value in these meteorites and sold that one to the field museum, the, the big one and, um, got a hefty profit from that. And this is the big one here, right? That's the big one. Where is this picture taken at? Uh, right right here that's what it looks like right at court and uh pruitt and the reason why it's on that truck is when they originally set it on a wagon it crashed through the wagon it was so heavy so they had to put it on that truck have you seen this picture chris do you have it we'll have to be sure and post this on facebook when we release this episode it's an incredible picture i've never seen it before so i i believe there's there's some kind of quasi identification on the back of that picture from when i acquired it but i don't I don't believe it's true. I, I think the other two people are Joe Fletcher and W.H. Hodges with Ninninger. You said the Ninninger's on the right or the left? The right, the younger man. Yeah, he looks like a mm-hmm. pretty smart guy. Sophisticated. <laughs> He's got that tie tucked in the oh, second, yeah, man. under the second button. Right. <laughs> Real style. Yeah. That's really cool. So what is what was your kind of interest in working on this book? I mean, is, is this for you just strictly uh, it's a historical account in Paragold and that's what really gets you excited about it? I saw that there was a void in the narrative. There wasn't anything out there. The Historical yeah. Society had done a brief article on this back in the mid-60s. And beyond that, there really hasn't been much of anything beyond a few pieces of scientific literature um, on the 
meteorite itself, not on the discovery or the the history of you know its possession and mm-hmm. its importance and all that. So I thought with the renewed interest in the meteorite, um, both locally and kind of regionally, um, it was long overdue for for something to to come out on it. How do you as a historian fill in that void? So like when you know there's a void in the narrative, is it just you follow leads, almost like detective type work? Well, with anything with Paragold, it's it's difficult because records are missing. Uh, records are in bad shape. Why is that? Uh, they just always have been in this town. Um, is that fairly common? or No. no. Have you ever heard why that is? I haven't. No, I don't. Uh, I don't know why that would be. So, uh, newspaper editions are hit and miss for Paragold. There was an era in this town, in this county, long before anybody here is, you know, was around, where historical stuff was not taken seriously, and stuff was literally thrown out hmm. uh, by the dumpster full, and. Now that we've become a lot more self-aware of the importance of history in general, but also our history, there's a, a sense of preservation about that. Uh, but trying to backpedal and, and fill in some of these gaps where there are no records, there are no historical accounts, is is difficult. Hmm. There might have been some challenges with that as well whenever we shifted from the old historic courthouse to the new courthouse. Mm-hmm. You know, the old courthouse has a, a basement where several offices were located, and so it's very damp and just kind of mm-hmm. yucky down there. And so mm-hmm. for a number of years, even prior to, to me coming on, it's uh, we didn't have a dehumidifier down there. All of the, the sewer lines, the drain lines that were just open weren't capped off, and so you had this stench. And then, But uh, thankfully, our genealogical society and historical society there, uh, it's important to them. And so since, since I've been in office, we've gotten... The Quorum Court's allowed us to purchase a, a dehumidifier to keep that humidity out of the air. And then mm. uh, these individuals can kind of sit down in there. And I've capped off, had a plumber come in, cap off all of the, the sewer lines and water lines so that we don't have that smell coming back up. And they're very diligent about taking, there was a lot of old documents were in trifold. And so they're taking them out of those trifolds and then we can get rid of that old, uh, those old filing cabinets and, and they're laying them flat and then filing them and writing the information on the, the tabs so that it can be better researched. Mm. That's good. I, tell me how we got the meteorite back here and why that was important to you guys. I don't even know the process. Like, who initiated that? Like, Yeah. I'd, do you know? That, that's <laughs> uh, that's an effort, I think, between uh, Allison Heston at the chamber and Ryan Vaughn. And David Neighbors was also very yeah. instrumental in that. Mm. Uh, so so the, there historically has been a few kind of grassroots movements to get the meteorite back. Um, I know in the 80s there was, there was some kind of effort. Um, the late Betty Busby uh, was a part of something like that, to my knowledge. Um, and it never, never got anywhere. Um, now... Everyone is aware that the meteorite was at the University of Arkansas Fayetteville, but it's owned by the Field Museum in Chicago, which is a significant scientific institution. Mm. And to to my knowledge, and I don't want to misspeak, but the U of A um, kind of continued to show a pattern of. Um, not being a good custodian for the meteorite. Mm-hmm. And when it was brought to the attention of the Field Museum by, I don't know, maybe Allison or somebody, that, hey, we've got this object that has this historical significance to Greene County, but it's not even on display anymore. My understanding was that it was tucked away in some outbuilding, not even cataloged. Wow. The Field Museum kind of perked up and said, Okay, we're retracting yeah. your loan privileges for this, mm-hmm. and we're sending it to the Green County Museum. Very cool. On a kind of year by year 
quasi-permanent loan basis. So they still own it? Yes. Yes, they still own it. Uh, but you got to remember, the Field Museum has entire meteorite collections. So right. what's the Paragold meteorite? Yeah, it was. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Well, it's still significant, right? Sure. The second largest. What's the, where's the first largest recorded meteorite file? We have no idea. I'm sure somebody does. Yeah, well, we don't. Um, main thing is, we have the second. <laughs> you need it's to come the see will, this one. The will of exactly right. see this one. Which is like, it's now here, right? In the Grand County Museum. Yep. Number one is the Willamette Meteorite <clears throat> from Oregon. From Oregon. Mm-hmm. There we go. This, that one's the sixth largest in the world. That wow. sounds pretty big. It, Did it, you, when, and you said tons. like, it's crazy tons. to me. Wow. What, what's that? That one's 15 tons. Oh, wow. First is 15 tons. Second is 900 pounds. <laughs> wow. Tell me this. The um, We were talking about this a little bit, Eric, before we started recording. And you mentioned this a little bit, that people were kind of weirded out by Because they didn't know what was happening, right? I mean, um, it would be weird to me, even today. Yeah. Like with the internet and all that, I'd start like, well, what just happened? Um, there was some, like, talk to me a little bit about kind of just the speculation around that because there were some other things that were going on kind of in the scientific community and everything at the time. Like, can you can you mention that a little bit, what we were talking about before? Yeah, so there's this kind interesting. Kind of like a bad omen type thing. Yeah, like, so yeah. there's this interesting kind of, you know, juxtaposition between the scientific community at the time and the the feeling of folks on the ground that were a witness to this. Um one example of a, a eyewitness was a, a young father who was walking down a dirt road up in near Poplar Bluff. Uh, his son, his young son, was very sick, and he was walking down the road to summon a doctor. And the meteorite goes overhead and creates all this ruckus. And later, his son dies. And so for the remainder of his life, he felt that there was some otherworldly connection to this. And that's not uncommon in history with these celestial events. You know, one thing mm-hmm. I talk about is, well, it was a comet. It was actually Halley's Comet um, in the Norman Conquest of 1066, where the uh, Normans invade England. Uh, William the Conqueror, uh, of Normandy saw Halley's Comet as a good omen, some kind of sign of God that his time has come and he needs to invade England. Well, mm. um, the Saxons saw it as a bad omen, a sort of symbolic measure that mm-hmm. their time has come to an end. Mm. Um, so you, you get that. People try to search for meaning. Sure. And everything. Well, and especially then, people were, uh, and I don't, I guess this is meant in a negative sense when how you take it, but I feel like people were much more spiritual back then. I mean, ever since the age of enlightenment, right, we have become more and more of a people that we measure things through science, right? Mathematics, like we, like if I can feel it, like then it's real. And it's like, but people, especially in the 30s, were definitely thinking much more about an unseen world and probably looking for unseen realities behind even the scene stuff right well yeah and and talking about the scientific community um for the longest time the scientific community in the united states um especially in terms of things like archaeology which the meteorite is not but i mean we can draw a parallel um had been really focused on classical stuff overseas greece rome egypt Mm. um it when dininger was born that was about the same time within a couple of years as the discovery of Mesa Verde cliff dwellings in Colorado. And that took on a whole new. What are those? I don't know that is. It's uh, ancestral Pueblo and cliff dwellings, major cliff dwellings in okay. Southwest Colorado. Let me check where Jared had his, uh, <laughs> genealogical. Uh, oh my what gosh. What else? Uh, what'd you go? Archaeology. Yeah. Now, don't, don't know? ask me anything about that. <laughs> and so this kind of, kicked off a new era in American scientific uh, interest. And then about the time that this occurred in 1930, within uh, just a couple of years, 
um, a road crew in Clovis, New Mexico, uh, discovered uh, mammoth bones and fluted points to give uh, basically scientific credibility to the Clovis culture, which would become known as the earliest Paleo-Indian culture in North America. And so you tie all this stuff together, Ninninger kind of growing up Mm. around this uh, awakening, the scientific awakening in North America, and he was definitely positioned um, to, uh, to be the right person to not discover the meteorite, but take charge of it and um, pursue it as a career until his death. So the book, The Paragold Meteorite, which you've authored with Introduction On, comes out in, when did you say? It's this summer, right? This summer, yeah. This summer. People who are interested in the book can grab that where? Uh, we plan on having a launch at the museum. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. Um, and then we'll have copies. I'm sure our local bookstore Webers will have copies. Um, I'll have copies and, um, yeah. Okay. And then those who are interested in seeing the meteorite, Green County Museum hours, are those, you guys know those off the top of your head? One of those, Chris, can you look them up? Um, this, by the way, for those who have not been in the Green County Museum, it's actually really cool. Like I would recommend it people is. going checking it yes. out. I've gone in several times, and so um, yeah. I've yeah. not had a chance to go see the meteorite yet. So I'm it, actually, it's open on Friday and Saturday, ten a.m. to two p.m. Ten a.m. to two p.m. on Friday and Saturday. Okay, excellent. Yeah, get by there, check it out. What else so, is there better to do? Do what? What else is there better to do? On well, Friday hey, Saturday, you need to man? check out that that meteorite. That's a pretty cool deal. It's a pretty cool deal, man. And read my grandmother's poem while you're there, which mm. I, I have. I could read that on the air here. Yeah, please do. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. All right. When the great meteorite fell on February 17th, 1930, we were awakened by a great radiant light with a noise that was a fright. Can't believe it made such a great sign. On a countryside at four o'clock in the morning, it came to Greene County without no warning, only to cease suddenly with a big bang. No one knew it was a meteorite by no means. Next morning, some boys from Paragould, Arkansas High School, came for a look. Sorry, my phone messed up. Dramatic pause. <laughs> That's right. Some of the people thought it could have been dynamite that had took. When houses shook with the blast in every nook, they found, out, they found one 80-pound stone embedded two feet deep in the clay. A few weeks later, a man was looking for his cow that had went astray. Found another stone buried nine feet in the clay it lay. It took a dozen men for several days with no delays, with a team of mules and derricks to lift the stone from the clay. Now, 820 pounds was the weight of this piece of stone. It was put in the window of the Paragould Solophone paper for to show. Mm. Then it was sold for $3,600 to a Chicago museum. It's now at rest in the Smithsonian Museum at Washington, D.C., written by... Flossie McMillan. Very good. I think she wrote that in 1994, if I'm not mistaken. It's on the back of that uh, one that I have. That's really cool, man. Yeah. I want to see you now compose a poem about it coming back to the Green County Museum to carry on her legacy. Yeah, that's right. I could do that. You could totally do that, man, in all your spare time. I, I like Eric. Eric could critique it for me, <laughs> and then I could, I could put it together. So <laughs> one one other kind of cool point about the meteorite is, <clears throat> and don't get me bogged down in the science because I don't understand it, but it's a really rare type of meteorite. It's classified as an LL five, which roughly means uh, low metal, low iron meteorite. So it's it's a stony, rocky kind of meteorite. So it's not just your average run of the mill. Yeah, who meteorite. cares about fifteen tons? They make those all the time. Yeah. Like we got the rare. Yeah, what did you say? Was L what? LL five chondrite. I don't know what that means. Well, I do know this much that again, this is just from my Wikipedia search. It is the largest uh, chondrite ever found. Yeah, like meteorite it, chondrite. It 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 emerged or whatever from the uh, uh, asteroid belt. Between Mars and Jupiter. Oh, that's cool. And got 
just flung out into the solar system and found its way here, and they think it's about as old as the Earth. So, wow. it's so that's old. what I was going to ask you. They can actually measure the age on it. Yeah, through, they can kind of guess through radioactive decay. Um, and so, so they're saying how old? About four point five billion. So when you go see it, it's old. Mm-hmm. Now there's old stuff out there, but the, it's old, old. Um, and I think it, it's neat because through the efforts at the at the chamber and through things that are again out of our control because of just nature and things that the library is doing, Paragold is really um, embracing a lot of this space stuff. So we've got the eclipse that's coming mm-hmm. next April, um, and the library uh, has telescopes. I don't know how many people know this. I'm on the library board, but you can get uh, telescopes that you can basically rent from the library. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, and when the eclipse comes, the library is going to have eclipse glasses to pass out to people. Um, the chamber is planning all different kinds of events to kind of focus around the eclipse. So we've got that. We've got the library. We've got the meteorite. We've got the book. It's really cool, kind of like the space capital of Arkansas. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. That's all kind of coming together all at once. Right. Did y'all get a good view of the uh, the eclipse when it came through? What was it, 2017? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was I, cool. I was in Kansas City at that time, and that was like we're here now, right in the center of the best mm-hmm. spot, and it was phenomenal. But I didn't know how well Northeast Arkansas got it. Yeah, this one is a yeah, total eclipse, right, coming in April? Yeah. So it'll be just pitch black for however long. Yeah, and from an emergency management and county judge standpoint, we're like – Okay, we got to get our departments and agencies prepared for this because we're expecting a lot of people. Do we um, have any idea how many we're no, expecting? No, when we talk with. Because I've heard it's going to be quite a few people that'll. Uh, there's some folks that like travel around looking for this kind of right. stuff, right? Yes. When we talk with our federal partners, they're like, we can tell you there's going to be people. Mm-hmm. We just can't tell you where. It's like there's going to be the Super Bowl somewhere in Arkansas. We just don't know where it's going to set up. So from our position, we're like, well, we've got to, we've got to prepare as if it is going to happen sure. in Green County. And if yep. it doesn't, oh, well. Yeah. It's going to be a fun day. Right. For me, maybe not for y'all. <laughs> right. You guys are yeah. stressing the whole time. We will be. Uh, Eric talked to me about when the, the 2017 eclipse happened and they've looked at Wyoming. Yeah. Different things that uh, other agencies have done at other states and, and counties and cities and such. But uh, it's going to be a pretty big deal. Sure will. That's exciting. Well, yeah. I'm sure there's more we could talk about with the book, the meteorite, all that good stuff. But I know you guys are very busy. You came in here probably with your hair on fire, and you're going to be rolling out of here, probably probably trying to put out more fires. So I'd love to end, though, with a list of rapid-fire questions. Mm. You guys ready for that? I don't know if it's you didn't have rapid-fire questions the last time you came on here, Rusty. I think I did, but I just like, why, why not give them out beforehand so I can rapidly <laughs> answer them? Well, that would take all the fun out of it. You're still you're still <laughs> rapidly answering them, regardless if it's on the front um, or back. I end. cannot be Good forced. Point. I cannot be forced to rapidly answer. That's true. <laughs> it's just the freedom of how quick you answer. Jared, you can you can ask me. I'm starting with Eric. I appreciate the confidence. Uh, what is the last show or movie you watched, or the last book you read? Uh, last book I read was um, by the philosopher Eric Hoffer. Um, it's about. Uh, why people uh, congregate in mass movements. I forget the title. Interesting. It's very good. Have you gotten into it yet to where you understand what his thesis is and what his theory is on why they congregate um, in simplified terms, rapid terms? Yeah. uh, Eric Hoffer, I don't know if anyone is familiar with him. He was kind of a self-educated longshoreman philosopher that had a mysterious background. And in the wake of World War II, he wrote, bunch of books and basically what makes people tick why do people follow you know Mm -hmm. these kind of you know groups why do they blindly do the things that they do Mm -hmm. in these little short kind of almost like art of war sections and uh it's very fascinating what did you say the name of it is again um i don't know i forget Uh, eric eric hoffer eric hoffner okay what about you, Rusty? Last book you read or last show you watched? Uh, the show's really easy. I did watch the game two of the NBA Finals last night. It was a good one. Yeah. So, um, but I, I read a lot of parts of books. 
And then I talk to Eric a lot about the books he's reading, so that's where I kind of soak in that information. Sure. In you don't have way. to finish a book. But, man, just let him do right. it. Right. But I do encourage people, read. Please read. <laughs> we need people to read. <laughs> we need <too> people <laughs> well, to read some good stuff. Right. Read good stuff. It's uh, The True Believer, Thoughts on the Nature of Mass Movements. Excellent. I'm going to have to check it out. The True Believer. Okay. Uh, favorite band. Your favorite band? We could just go with even like what's your favorite band right now? Like what? I like uh, I like REM. Okay, uh, great nineties like, band, right? I always like Social Distortion. Yes. Um, Genesis. Ooh. Yeah, I was listening to a little Phil Collins yesterday. Mm-hmm. Susudio. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. See him? Yeah. Come on. I know you. That's kind of your era, right? You got some some songs from. I that. already have his. Yeah, I guess so. Alabama, country music group Alabama. Alabama. Yeah, if I'm gonna say one, that's that's it right there. You're not an Alabama fan, are you? <laughs> y'all have very different. Y'all have very not different now. styles of music. <laughs> hey, I will say, if you ride around with the mayor, that guy. He's Tom Petty. Tom Petty. He's always listening. That's to right. Yeah, it's constantly Tom Petty. The Tom Petty station. But he'll sing along, so he'll serenade you. Yeah, he won't do that with us. I usually have a camera out, and he doesn't want to be on that. Oh, no. He's not been doing much singing. Um, What is your favorite meal? Start with you, Eric. What's your favorite meal? Usually something that my son doesn't recommend. (laughs) Something that's quick. Um, You know what's really good? I don't know if I can pitch stuff, but Food Dudes makes like an excellent Philly cheesesteak. Really? Yes. It's very good. We're going to be at the food dudes eating at their place. I don't know when it's coming up, but I've, I've not been there yet. Uh, like their Philly cheesesteak is. The bomb. Yeah. Okay. Their spicy French fries and Philly cheesesteak. Spicy French fries. Yeah. Eric, Eric won't steer you wrong on good food. Okay. Yeah. And also, I, I trust pretty, you. Anything solid. Delta Crawfish. Mm-hmm. Delta Crawfish mm. are great. Yeah, they're great. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, we've got them coming up on the food tour as well. I do yeah. love me some Delta Crawfish. What about you? Um <laughs> You know, I'm always going to go with a great cheeseburger and French fries, cold Dr. Pepper. Yeah. That's about it. Now, my mom, uh, our family, growing up, every Sunday night, mom would make scrambled egg sandwiches. Yeah. Just so like, uh, like eggs. toast? Yeah. No, just on regular bread, scrambled eggs. I like mayonnaise on mine. My brother would eat his with mustard. <laughs> a little cheese? Uh, no, no. Well, what's and on it, this thing? So it's just uh, white just, bread with the scrambled egg. eggs. Really? Yeah, and white bread and whatever. That takes you home. Yeah, yeah. And some potato chips and, again, cold Dr. Pepper. That was our Sunday night meal. That was like, You looked forward to it every oh, Sunday yeah. night. Oh, yeah. I had it yesterday. Last did Sunday you really? Night. Yeah, I did. You're still keeping the tradition While I was going? watching the NBA basketball game. Wow. Yeah. That's excellent, man. Yeah. Just when you think you know a guy. Now, my wife That's... and daughter don't eat it, but <laughs> still. Good for you, man. A little taste of home. You bet. I like a good pizza. Sit down with a cold Dr. Pepper. 30 slices. 30 slices. <laughs> yeah. 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 We're about to find out how much you like I pizza. I like a homemade pizza. So Chef Boy RD, mix that thing up, and yeah. Yuck. It's really? awesome. Oh, yeah. We do mm-hmm. homemade pizzas at our house every single uh, week, but it's gluten free. I got a gluten allergy, and so my wife is gracious enough that she makes all the dough herself, and we've tried to master the gluten free pizza. Sure, tried very hard. <laughs> it's been about a year and a half in the works. Still so. working on yeah, it. Yeah, still trying to get it perfect. Um, what is on your nightstand right now, Eric? A lamp and about ten books. It sounds about like mine. What about you, Rusty? Yeah, phone uh, charger. Uh, important. Some shirts that got folded up and didn't get put away, you know, T-shirts and stuff. <laughs> and then a box with like one or two books in it, and it's caught whatever else that I didn't want to take and put somewhere else, <laughs> you know. So maybe an ink pen down in there. Uh, Sounds like a really big <laughs> nightstand. Yeah. Or just maybe a lot of stuff well, on Yeah, just a lot of stuff. Up. So my wife's very much anti-giving me any place to clutter again, you know. So I got to. You just take advantage of what you can right. get. That's right. Uh, she won't let me have a, a, a nightlight or a, just a lamp, you know, for reading or anything. She says, because I'll leave it on and then she has to go she turn it on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I got it for like the last three or four years in our old house, but new house, no way. No way, man. So I've got it stored out in the garage. I'm going to bring it back in one day. Hey, you bring it back, man. <laughs> do you. Right. Uh, Eric, what is, uh, give us a snapshot of just an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy. Just an ordinary moment. Yeah when I'm able to go home and see my kids 
especially during the summer because I get up and go before they're up so I can come home and see what they didn't do during the day <laughs> and uh, just play with them, tease them, do whatever. Yeah, cool. It's the best part. Awesome. How about you, Rusty? When there's no complaining. Yeah. <laughs> Does that happen? <laughs> Ever? Ooh, when I'm... Yeah, when I'm just in my truck and I can choose the radio station and, and <laughs> you know, but yeah. just people enjoying life. That's it. I just, we have so much to enjoy. We do have a lot to enjoy, man. We, um, I was listening to, you might know, because you got to, well, you might say, have you heard of Mark Rober? He's a YouTuber. And um, he was an engineer for NASA and then Apple. And then he left it all to, to start a YouTube channel for kids. Mm. Uh, brilliant, brilliant guy. I think he's younger than me. Um, brilliant. And he gave the um, anyways, graduation speech at MIT recently. And he was just talking about, like, he was kind of telling, like, here's three things you need to be successful. And one of them was, like, naive optimism. Basically, just, like, be, continue to be curious yes. about things. Um, another one was, like, not being afraid of failure. You know, like, you learn from your failures. And another one was the importance of, like, deep, meaningful relationships. And he was saying, like, one of the things that's killing our relationships today is, like, we are just assuming the worst about people. And when yes. you assume the worst about people, you look for anything, anything they do. It's like, up. Oh, he just said hi to me. And I bet what he was really trying to do was, you know, and yeah. make up some sort of story that's just terrible about the person. Right. Mm. And he was just really making a appeal to this MIT graduating class, like assume the best about people. And if you'll do that, you'll be surprised how much you'll change your life and your relationships and your right own on. gratitude, thankfulness yeah. and all that. So yeah. anyways, that's on my own mind as you yeah. bring it up. So. Yeah, talk. Talk through things. Don't just listen to what somebody else is saying about it. Go talk to the person that's in charge. Yeah. Ask them. Well, and ask <laughs> is the big thing. You yeah. know, we've talked about this, Chris and I, but I mean, you know, Ted Lasso was a, a show that I used to really like. And in the first season, there's this powerful scene where he's playing darts with somebody and he quotes Walt Whitman, which is this quote of be curious, not judgmental. And, you know, there's a massive difference in the posture between someone who's curious versus judgmental. Mm-hmm. we're so quick to yes. be like, I know exactly what you think, or I know why you are the way you are. You know, right. it's like, what if you were just, what if you really had the humility to be like, I actually don't know. And I'm genuinely going to ask and I'm genuinely going to listen mm-hmm. and try to learn. Every, right. Everyone's their own expert. Oh my gosh, man. Yeah. And especially in social media. Now everybody's got a voice. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> I was talking with Josh Agee about the other day and I was like, do you think your job would have been easier in the early nineties? Oh, and it was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah man, before social media and all that, where you just, you do one thing I don't like, and <laughs> and then and then because so many people are isolated right now, and, 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 and a lot of people don't have good community, rather than coming together around what we're for, we'd love to come together around what we're against, you know? And so it's like, somebody says something bad about you, because I feel so lonely, and I don't have deep community, it's like, oh, I can hop on that, and mm-hmm. I can complain, and then now I feel connected to these other people. Read that Eric Hoffer book. Is that what he talks about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there you go. Call me the Eric Hoffer Paragold, Arkansas. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's cool. Well, all right, last, last question. What is, I'll start with you, Eric. What is one thing you're deeply grateful for right now? Rusty. That's so sweet, Rusty. Now you have to say, Eric. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that, though. Yeah, Eric's been, he's a good dude. Um, I just life. I, even with all of the, the challenges that exist, and kind of have a contentious meeting I have to go to tonight, but uh, just life. But, I, you know, back on what we were saying just earlier, just there's so much more to enjoy than to ridicule. Mm-hmm. And if, if you're ridiculing, that means you're neglecting the things that bring you joy in life. And the things that you can ridicule or complain about seldom have anything to do with your day-to-day life. I was thinking this this past weekend that, you know, people get so caught up on the president or governor or the county judge, you know, whoever it is that's mm-hmm. in that elected position. So I was born in 74. Who was president? 74 and 75. Was that Nixon's last year or so? I will say that. Anyway, Jimmy Carter, the last four years of the 70s. So, you know, I didn't know. I was four, five, six years old, right? But I think, looking back, I think I enjoyed my life during the Jimmy Carter years. I enjoyed my life during the Ronald Reagan years, during the George Bush years, during the Bill Clinton years, during the George W. years. Uh, My life was good. 
during Barack Obama's years, my life was good. Yeah. You know, David, Donald Trump years, my life was good. Joe Biden, my life is still good. Why? Because sure. my life is the people that I'm around day in and day yeah, out. Absolutely. And if I watch that news story and something that I don't like, well, is it even bothering me? Does yeah. it even influence me? Does it even impact my life at all? No, but I'm going to be mad about it. Why? Because I don't like what it is. Yeah. You know? Look around your family. Look in your community. And think about the things that, you know, I don't want another hamburger or Mexican restaurant. Well, no. why don't you go start your own restaurant, make it what you want it to be? Mm-hmm. You know, the things that we, we don't like, we can go and, and change. We have avenues for that. Or, hey, you know what? Not too big of a deal. I can make this work for me and, and move on. You know, it's just like, like you said a while ago, the, you got up to mess my life up today. Well, that's somebody driving slow in front of you. They didn't get up just to do that today. Yeah. You know, so don't let that ruin your day or oh yeah, or yeah, ruin your relationship with the people that are in the vehicle with you that you're going to take it out on. <laughs> oh, for sure, yeah. The person who's driving, if they're going slow, they're an idiot. If yeah. they're going fast, they're a maniac. Right, right. And everywhere yeah. you go, they're the worst drivers in the world, you know. So it's just like you're part of that. Yeah, so. <laughs> I had someone years ago confront me on that because I'm really bad about someone like, I will drive fast, but then I see someone else do it, and I'm like, that guy's a moron. And then it's like, hey, have you ever thought about the fact maybe they're late for work yeah. and if they miss one more if they show on late, they could be fired or that maybe they've got a sick kid or maybe I'm like, nope. But I caught my own self doing the very thing right. I'm saying don't anybody Absolutely. else do, which is I'm someone flies by me on the highway. I immediately am like, what an idiot. Right. You know, right. and it's like, dude, they could be happy. Who knows what's going on? They may have Give them a the benefit of the doubt. Exactly. Assume the best. You know? I've, I've missed a stop sign before. I've missed a red light before. I've do you think <laughs> we're afraid of losing something if we assume the best about people? Like, do you think we're afraid that we're going to like have someone like, like we're gonna have like whatever it is, like the one of these. What's the saying? Like you know, the sheep pulled over our eyes, and we're gonna miss something. Like you think, like does that make sense? Like do you think we're it afraid does. that if we're optimistic? I think as a society, somebody, we've been programmed to be pessimistic and critical of everyone and everything. Is it a survival technique? Like I mean, like is it a way that we? It well, feels very vulnerable to assume the best of people. It does. Right. It's it's like. Like you said, it's the, the one thing. So I can make 99 great decisions, and then the one thing you disagree with that you're going to disagree with so vehemently that it's like, I hate Russell. Yeah, what is that, though? Yeah. But what's behind that, as I'm saying? I don't know. I, because even in, in life, you're not get, you don't get 100% of what you want, not even in your household. Oh, it's very childish to assume that. Yes, it is. And, you know, what, what, what's it hurt to compliment, to encourage? Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the that's what we need more of rather than the other. And it doesn't mean that we're closing our eyes to things that could be improved or made better. And But uh, either get involved and try to make things, improve things and make things better, or you're, you're really a part of the problem that you're complaining about. Yeah. <laughs> I think I come down to, like, there are some people in the world who are just miserable. And if you're a miserable person, like, you're going to try to – you want other people to be miserable. Yeah. Like, misery, misery loves company, well, right? And so it's just it's like, I, I think – I think there is an element to that, you know, right. and I think for me it's because it's really, I've talked to Josh a little bit about this, like it is really easy, I think, to take those things personal, mm-hmm. you know, because we are human. Like when someone critiques us or uh, they throw a stone or, they, you know, you do the nine things right and they put on the, the other one thing that you did wrong, it's right. like, it's always easy to take that personal and it's, I, I don't know, like I just wonder if there's a way, and I'm not, I don't do a great job of this, but what I want to get to even more is understand like, okay, if someone was that critical of me, mm-hmm. like, if they're that critical of a person, they're probably pretty miserable. You know right. what I'm saying? And probably the people around them who are closest to them are having to put up with that person and live with that person. Right. You know what I'm saying? And, yeah. and there's and there's a story. There is a story behind that, a deep story. that probably even goes back to their childhood. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? They're not, and I'm not trying to go all, all psychological. That's just the truth of it. That's just, right. you talk to any psychiatrist, psychologist, sociologist who's worth their weight, like they'll all tell you like everyone's got a story and it's playing into why that person is the way that they are. And I think, like, we can apply some of that that we're talking about, like, at least for me, like, I want people to be curious, not judgmental. Right. It's like, I want them to be that way, but I get an opportunity whenever they're critical of me to be that way. Well, yeah. every, that- everything that you're, <clears throat> excuse me, everything that you're talking about, I think, is is kind of a big reason why the folks at the county and the city get along so well. So things that Rusty does, things that I do, things that Josh Agee does things that his team does like Mike McCammon at the 911 center or, or whoever are all behind the scenes type of stuff. Mm. Just because you don't see us out physically doing something doesn't mean we're not doing it. Yeah. You know? Yep. And so 
we all understand that dynamic to get, we, we all, it's good, you know, deal with it. Yep. Um, he deals with different stuff than I do. Mayor deals with different stuff than he does. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is that kind of shared, um, frustration, shared, uh, whatever that it's like, Hey, we're all on the same team here, mm-hmm. but you know, yeah, yeah. Well, for what it's worth, I think you guys are doing a great job. And we were, I think the majority of people think that. It's unfortunate that because of social media, um, sometimes this little small group of people, like usually the the haters, whoever they are, and everyone's got them. I've got them. Like, you know, Chris Play has them. You kind of like, it's usually that small group of people. They seem like they're like everybody. Or they're like the majority, and they're really not. They're the squeaky. Yeah, it's like Jeff had Josh bring stuff up to me before, and he's like, well, you've probably heard about some people that have complained about it. I'm like, nope, I never have. But because you guys are so in it, it feels like, well, everybody must think these things, whatever. I'm like, nobody else even knows, dude. Like, they're kind of are out living their life. And we've we've had those discussions. Yeah, they are out living their life. They're not thinking about it, and they're not worried about it. And I think, I guarantee you the majority of the people in this sitting in this county think you are doing a fantastic job. You know, we were, was it George's OMG? Is that where it was? Yeah. Uh, for the food tour with Josh Agee. And, I mean, here's a guy. You know, if you met George, at the, I mean, and he just went on and on and on and on unprompted about how great this community is mm-hmm. and how much it means to his family. And you could tell every bit of it was sincere and how great it is. And how, you know, it's just, it's growing for the better. Everything's moving towards the better. And I think like that's mm-hmm. the majority of the people who are going through their life, they'd say, this is a great place to live. But it couldn't so. be done without the collaborative, progressive leadership that we have sure. with people like Rusty, yep. Josh, Allison, mm-hmm. the people on the support teams, the road department, mm-hmm. okay, the public works. We've got really good people yeah, that are working very hard every day. Yeah, to make this city and county not just livable but enjoyable, and those may not be like sexy jobs, mm-hmm. but they're necessary, mm-hmm. and these guys do a good job doing it. Yeah, so you know, I would encourage the public to thank someone next time they see them. It's good. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll start by saying again, thank you guys mm-hmm. for what you do. Really does. Uh, Y'all are making this community a better place to live for me for my family for those that i love and for my enemies as well so thank you guys uh very much and thanks for making time to be here so and to help talk about the meteorite looking forward again to the book the paragol meteorite will be out in july if you've not already done so go to the green county museum check out the rock it is there on display Fridays and Saturdays. I can't remember what time you said, Chris, from 10 to 2. 10 to 2. So, guys, appreciate it. Always good to be able to hang out with you. Yeah, me too. Thanks. All right, there we go. Eric Wright, Real Student Millen. Mm-hmm. We covered a lot, I feel like. Yeah. Started with the meteorite and mm-hmm. got kind of deep there for a little bit. Yeah. Good conversation. Uh, almost as deep as the meteorite got. Oh, there's another one of those jokes that you tend to throw in <laughs> sometimes that. You know, they're funny, I'm sure, to a lot of people. And uh, The Collins is trying to get an open mic comedy. Are you going to do it? Coming up. Yeah. I've heard they're bringing in... um, Who's the guy? Yeah. Is Uh, that true? Yeah. What's the guy's name? I can't remember his first name. He's from Saturday Night Live. John Lovitz. John Lovitz, yeah. It's incredible. Are you going to go to it? I don't know. Well, it's on a Sunday night, and I have my small group Uh, on Sunday nights, so... You could probably Probably not. We could all go there together. (laughs) He's funny in SNL, but like I've watched some stuff and I think he's maybe a little too raunchy for my taste. Okay. So we'll see. Keeping it clean. Yeah. Um, Hey, if you're still listening, thanks so much for tuning in. We are glad that you checked out this episode. We got a lot of other episodes out there. I don't know how many, but quite a few. Um, We are, you heard us mention this, going on a food tour. We're in the middle of it right now. We're going to release every July, uh, one day. yeah, every day in July, we're actually going to have one restaurant a day that is being released where we have visited the different local restaurants in town, tasted their food. Uh, you'll get a chance to meet either the manager or the owner from that place and just learn about uh, the different restaurants here and kind of what goes into making sure that we have so many really, really good, actually, uh, choices to choose from right here in our city. And so I would encourage you to check that, that check that out. That'll be on Facebook. It'll be on a YouTube channel we're going to start. Um, it'll be really cool. And there is going to be at the end, I believe, a pizza eating contest. Yes. So that will be announced officially, but it looks like it's 
It's going to be a pizza eating contest between Josh A.G., our mayor, and our judge, Russ McMillan, who is just now obviously on this episode. And so uh, be sure and check that out. Also, if you've not done so, get on social media. Uh, please follow us on Facebook. Uh, we're on Instagram as well. Uh, we have a website, paragolpodcast.com. Um, and if you've not done this, we'd love for you to go to Spotify or to Apple, wherever you're listening to this uh, podcast, and give us a five-star rating. That helps people to find us more quickly and learn about the incredible people who are living right here in our community. So as always, thanks so much for listening. Until next time.